Okay, today we start a new sutta, which is called the Brahma Nimantanika Sutta, which means the invitation of a Brahma. <coughs> now, This sutta is somewhat different in character from the other suttas that we've been studying. This sutta is not so much an actual discourse of the Buddha, but it's a kind of dramatic presentation. And it's a presentation which on one level is entertaining, even amusing, and yet if it's read at another level, it has very deep implications and significance. And this sutta is related by the Buddha to the monks as a narrative when he was dwelling in the Jetavana monastery in Savati. And he tells the monks that on one occasion he was living at the town of Ukkata in a place called the Subhaga Grove at the, foot, at the foot of a royal solitary. And now on that occasion a certain wrong view or pernicious view had arisen in a deity called Bhaka the Brahma. Now I should give a little background. According to the Buddha's teaching, the world in which we live, the human world, is part of the general cosmic realm called the Kamaloka, the sensuous realm. And in this realm, the dominant quality is experienced through the senses and the dominant activity of beings or the dominant desire of beings is the enjoyment of sensual pleasures. But above the sensual realm there are other realms of existence. The Kamaloka or sensual world is made up of five planes or five divisions. We live in the human world and we see beings in the animal realm. Below us, so to speak, but out of sight, there are the hell realms, realms of intense suffering, and the sphere of the pratas, the hungry ghosts or tormented spirits. Then above us, so to speak, there are six realms inhabited by beings called the Devas, the heavenly world. And in all of these planes or spheres within the sensuous realm, the dominant drive of living beings is the enjoyment of sense pleasures. Some get it, 
the devas have the sense pleasures most abundantly. Some don't get it, the hell beings and the praetas. Some get it in the very limited quantities and of a very coarse kind, the animals. And some get mixtures of sense pleasures with mixtures of sensual, a mixture of sense pleasures with sensual suffering or pain, human beings. Above the entire sensual world, there is another realm or sphere of existence called the Rupa Loka. This is the realm of fine material form, of subtle matter. And the dominant quality of this realm is the type of consciousness which is achieved through the practice of samadhi meditation or samatha meditation. The type of experience achieved through the jhanas. In order to be reborn into the rupa loka, the fine material realm, one has to achieve mastery over the jhana. And there are four basic divisions of this realm depending upon the type of jhanic experience that a meditator in the human world will achieve. That is, it's graded according to the four jhanas. And the sphere or plane that we'll be concerned with in this sutta is the plane of the lowest of the jhanas, the first jhana. And those who achieve mastery over the first jhana are reborn in this plane called the Brahma world, the world of the Brahma deities. These are very powerful, very serene, blissful deities who have achieved such a degree of mastery over their mind that they have overcome temporarily all desire for the enjoyment of sense pleasures. Such beings have not necessarily developed any insight and they are not necessarily in any way achieved to the planes of stream entry or the higher stages of realization. They can be completely deluded whirling, even entrenched in michaditi, in certain wrong views. But because of their temporary mastery of the mind, they have suppressed the 
sensual desires and the five hindrances and through that power of jhana they have been reborn into this realm and now within this realm the lifespan is very very long even far longer than even the highest lifespan in the Deva world. I think according to the Abhidhamma they give different figures for the lifespans in these Brahma worlds and in the realm of the Mahabrahmas, the highest part of the Brahma world, the lifespan might even be as long as several Cosmogayans or Kalpas. And so, if the beings who are reborn in this Brahma world do not have right view, do not have an understanding of impermanence, because of the long lifespan here, they might come to accept the wrong view that this realm is eternal and everlasting. And I imagine that just as in the human realm the sphere of the earth is divided into various nations and the different nations have their own kings or presidents or rulers, heads of state, So in the Brahma world also I imagine that there must be divisions into different territories and in the sutta that's going to be discussed now we're dealing with a particular territory which is ruled over by the most powerful divinity in that territory whose name is Bhaka the Brahma. And so because he is the chief and ruler of this celestial world and because the lifespan is so immeasurably long and because also he has all the defilements still inherent in his mind. For these reasons he gives rise to the wrong view that his realm is eternal and everlasting and he imagines that he is the supreme creator of the entire universe and the eternal everlasting Lord of heaven and so when the Buddha is sitting in meditation at the foot of this tree at this time there arises in this divinity, this deity, Bhaka the Brahma the wrong view that this world that I am the chief of that this is permanent this is everlasting, this is eternal, 
this is the absolute, the highest realm. This is not subject to pass away, and here this, this realm is neither born, it doesn't decay, there is no death here, this realm never passes away, and no one who is born here, who arises here, ever passes away and takes rebirth elsewhere. And he imagines that there is no higher realm beyond this, no state of deliverance or liberation higher than this realm. This is in fact <laughs> the kind of view which is generally propounded within theistic religion, that there is a certain realm which is called heaven, and that this heaven is presided over by a creator God, and that this heavenly world never perishes, the celestial Lord never perishes, and those who are born into this realm will live there for all eternity. And so, while the Buddha is dwelling in this meditation, he, there arises within his mind an understanding that this wrong view has arisen in Bhakka the Brahma. And so then the Buddha, just as quickly as a strong man might extend his bent in arm, or might bend in his outstretched arm, so the Buddha vanished from his seat beneath the solitary and reappeared in the Brahma world. This is an ability which is possessed not only by the Buddha, but also by other Arahant disciples who have developed the idhis or psychic powers just whenever they want to, by an act of will, they're able to disappear from one realm and reappear in another realm. Even Mahamogalana had this ability, Mahakasapa, Mahakapina, and some of the other great disciples were able to just move about from one realm to another, just as when if I'm listening to the shortwave radio, if I don't want one station, just by a flick of my finger, I switch to another station. So, with them, they just flick, you'd say, the tuning mechanism of the mind, and then the body disappears in one place and reappears in another realm. And so here now the Buddha disappears from the human world and reappears in this celestial realm. And when the Buddha reappears here, then Bhakka the Brahma <laughs> sees him coming and says to him, extends to him a royal welcome. Apparently the Buddha must have visited that realm earlier since when he appears there, Bhakka the Brahma recognizes him and says, Come, good sir, welcome, good sir, 
it is a long time since you found an opportunity to come here. <coughs> then Bakka starts to present his case, to present his view. He says, now, good sir, this is permanent, this is everlasting, this is eternal, this is the absolute, this is not subject to pass away, and so on. But now the Buddha's purpose in coming to this realm is to try to convince Bhakka the Brahma to give up this wrong view. And so the Buddha tells Bhakka, he says, the worthy Bhakka, Bhakka the Brahma has fallen into ignorance lapsed into ignorance in that he says of this which is impermanent that it is permanent of this which is transient that it is everlasting of this which is non-eternal that it is eternal of this which is incomplete or not absolute that it is total or absolute of that which is subject to pass away that it is not subject to pass away of what is born, what decays, dies passes away and reappears that it is neither born nor decays nor dies nor passes away nor reappears and when there is some state higher than this, some higher deliverance, some higher realm, he says that there is no escape beyond this. Now, the reason why the Buddha says this is because first, the lifespan of the beings who have been reborn in this Brahma world, the, their lifespan is limited or finite. It's not everlasting. The beings who have been reborn here might dwell in this world for even a full cosmic aeon, the length of span in which a whole universe, a whole world span, begins, evolves, disintegrates, and becomes destroyed. And through it, this entire span, these beings might endure here. But at some point, they will die and pass away. And periodically, even the entire Brahma world itself, not only the beings, but the very world, world or realm itself, will perish in one of these cosmic conflagrations. And this realm will be entirely destroyed. 
and yet because Bhaka the Brahma does not have the range of knowledge of a perfect Buddha or even of many of the great Arahant disciples he is not aware of the finite lifespan of the beings in this realm and of the finite duration of this realm itself. So for this reason he has fallen into this wrong view. And now within this Brahma world it seems that there are gradations of status and according to the way of analyzing the Brahma world in the suttas and also explained even more thoroughly in the commentaries there are three basic gradations the kind of a class structure even in the Brahma world even Marxism would not have very much success even here with a classless society you know, the ordinary inhabitants of the Brahma world make up what are called Brahma Parisadja which means the members of Brahma's assembly these seem to be the lowest or the common members of the Brahma world above them are the Brahma's ministers Brahma Purohita these seem to be more powerful Brahma deities who maybe exercise important functions in the Brahma world just as in a country one might have the foreign minister the <laughs> minister of rural development the minister of <laughs> uh, education minister of tourism <laughs> minister of this minister of uh, health health and welfare and so on so there are these high positions in the Brahma world which are taken over by the ministers of Brahma and then at the top of every territory or nation in the Brahma world there is the Maha Brahma the chief Brahma and Bhaka Brahma will be the chief Brahma in his particular domain or Brahma world <coughs> and now in paragraph 5 we have a very interesting development taking place now Mara the evil one takes possession of a member of the Brahma's assembly that is Mara enters into the body of one of these Brahma deities and takes control of it so that temporarily the mind of that Brahma deity is put into a kind of coma-like state and Mara animates the, the physical form of that deity so that it is speaking according to Mara's intentions 
And so now Mara, speaking through the body of that deity, tells the Buddha, he says, Bhikkhu, Bhikkhu, do not disbelieve him. Do not disbelieve him. For this Brahma is the great Brahma, Mahabrahma. He is the overlord, the untranscended, the one of infallible vision, the wielder of mastery, the Lord, maker and creator, the most high providence, the master and father of those that are and ever can be. I find this passage really most fascinating in that we have here Mara, who is actually the devil or Saturn, you might say the count of the Buddhist counterpart of Saturn, and he is urging the Buddha to place faith in Brahma, who we could say is for practical purposes, he is the equivalent of the theistic god. And Mara is actually praising Brahma in words that might have been taken almost verbatim out of the Christian Bible or the Koran or the writings of the Christian theologians or Muslim theologians. And yet in Christianity the task of Saturn is to persuade people to give up belief in God, to lose trust or faith in God. But here, the Buddhist Saturn, the Buddhist devil, is urging the enlightened one to believe in God, to place faith in God. And then he goes on, even in greater detail, trying to even use his, all of his powers of, con of persuasion to convince the Buddha to believe in Brahma. First, he uses a technique of fear to instill fear into him. He says, before your time, Bhikkhu, there were some recluses and, and Brahmins in the world who condemned earth through disgust with earth, who condemned water through disgust with water, who condemned fire through disgust with fire, who condemned air through disgust with air, here he's referring to the four great elements who condemn beings through disgust with beings, who condemn the gods through disgust with gods, who condemn Prajapati, the Lord of creation, through disgust with Prajapati, who condemned Brahma through disgust with Brahma, and on the dissolution of the body, when their life was cut off, they became established in an inferior body, 
in a lower world, we might say. Before your time, again he says, there were ascetics and Brahmins who applauded the earth or praised the earth through the light in earth, who praised water, fire, air, who praised beings, who praised the gods, who praised Prajapati, who praised Brahma through delight in Brahma. And on the dissolution of the body, when their life was cut off, they became established in a superior body, or we could say they reappeared in a higher world. So here in this passage, Brahma uh, Mara seems to be speaking with some understanding of the aim of the Buddha's teaching. He realizes that the Buddha's teaching is directed towards liberation from the entire world, is aimed at transcending or breaking free from the entire conditioned world. And Mara doesn't like this, since it's Mara's function to keep beings trapped within the conditioned world. He doesn't care where the beings go within samsara. Unlike the Christian devil, like, unlike Satan, it's not his function to bring beings to hell. Mara is completely happy when people are reborn in the heavens and the Brahma world. He just doesn't want them to achieve Nibbana. <laughs> and Mara seems to understand that the Buddha's teaching works through developing Nibbita and Viraga, disenchantment with the world and dispassion with the world. And so Mara, through lies and deception, he tells, the, or maybe misunderstanding, he tells the Buddha that those recluses or, and Brahmins who he's using now wording which is not exactly the same as the Buddha as used in the Buddha's teaching those recluses and Brahmins who condemned fire through disgust with fire this is not typical Buddha's terminology but it seems to be based on a misunderstanding of Buddha's terminology Maybe this is the terminology used by some of the other ascetic, uh, ascetic teachings that were current in the period. But Mara seems to have in mind here the tendency of his teaching to develop this, this, this enchantment and disillusionment and this passion towards all of the phenomena of the world. And so Mara is saying that those who adopted those attitudes in the past, far from getting 
some kind of enlightenment and liberation were just reborn in some lower world, some lower realm. Whereas those who were delighting in the world and to praise the world, the four elements, the, who praise creation, who praise the gods, who praise Brahma himself, those beings after death, those recluses and Brahmins, those were reborn in a higher world. And so now Mara is in effect saying to the Buddha that you should give up this teaching of yours which is directed towards overcoming the world through dispassion towards the four elements and towards turning away from all created beings. Instead you should praise this world which is the creation of Mahabrahma and you should appreciate and esteem and honor this world which is the creation of the almighty deity. So then Mara continues and he says, I tell you this, be sure to do only as Brahma says, never overstep or violate the word of Brahma. If you overstep the word of Brahma, then like a man who tries to deflect the beam of a light with a stick or like a man who loses his grip on the earth with his hands and feet and slips into a deep chasm so you will meet with calamity and disaster so now Mara is even threatening the Buddha with the evil consequences or danger of not obeying the command of Brahma. And then Mara calls to witness as support for his statement. He says, do you see, don't you see here the Brahma's assembly seated and he points to all this large assembly of Brahma maybe hundreds and thousands of Brahma deities sitting there who all will agree with the word of Mara and say yes you should obey the word of Mahabrahma the great overlord the divine ruler of the whole universe. 
So this is really quite, I would say, quite a, a fantastic and amazing scene. We could just, if we could just visualize it <laughs> as a kind of cinema production, you'll see maybe thousands and thousands of Brahma deities all blazing with glory, sitting there, just fading out into the horizon, and Mahabrahma sitting at the head of this celestial assembly, radiating, you know, just almost overwhelming beams and beams of light and glory. And maybe the Buddha, in order to conduct this dialogue, is not displaying all of his full glory of Buddhahood, but is maintaining just his ordinary human form, so that he appears just as a very lovely and handsome human being. And now Mara, the, who's like the real overlord of creation, the real overlord of creation, has taken possession of one of these Brahma deities and is threatening and trying to persuade the Buddha to submit to Mahabrahma and to recognize that he is the eternal, all-powerful, supreme Godhead and that this whole universe is his creation which should be praised and accepted and affirmed. And when Mara says this, then the Buddha says, I know you, evil one. Do not think he does not know me. You are Mara the evil one. And now, with the next statement, the Buddha is going to reveal, at a very deep level, the stark and almost frightening truth behind this whole glorious scene that we have. The Buddha says, You are Mara, evil one, and this Brahma, and the Brahma's assembly, and the members of the Brahma's assembly have all fallen into your hands. They have all fallen into your power. So this is really quite a startling revelation that the Buddha makes. That even though it seems when we look at the scene from the outside, Mara seems to be just a ordinary member of this Brahma's assembly, and Mahabrahma is sitting at the head as thinking he is the eternal Lord of all creation. But the Buddha here reveals this stark truth that if we strip away this glorious, facade or surface presentation, we see that all the members of that celestial assembly and even Mahabrahma himself are really just pawns 
in the hands of Mara. It's Mara, the evil one, who is controlling the entire samsara, even right up to its celestial heights. And now the Buddha tells Mara something which is very disappointing to Mara. He says, You might think, evil one, that this one too, that is myself, this one too has fallen into my hand, that he too has fallen into my power, but I have not fallen into your hands, evil one. I have not fallen into your power. That is, when we look at the scene superficially, the Buddha appears in this particular scene just like an ordinary human being and Mahabrahma in all his sublime glory seems to be the all-powerful creator. And yet, though the Buddha appears like an ordinary human being, he is the one outside the control of Mara. He is the one who has broken out from this prison cage of samsara, broken out from the net or trap of samsara. And Mara, the evil one, the Lord of Desire, holds all of the others, not only in this celestial assembly, but from the lowest hells right up to the highest formless realm, all those except the Aryan Savakas, the Buddhas and the Aryan disciples, the noble disciples, are within the trap of Mara. And I said when I began this discourse that the sutta can be seen at different levels and at one level we could see it as a very entertaining even amusing and quite impressive I would call it even an Olympian drama or a drama of Olympian proportions at another level we could see it as having some kind of symbolic significance and when we take it at the symbolic level, this is the way I would interpret it. At this symbolic level, we shouldn't take Bhakka the Brahma simply as one particular individual deity or living being. But rather, we should take Bhakka Brahma as the supreme representative of Bhava, becoming, or conditioned existence. And 
he represents conditioned existence becoming samsaric existence blind to the truth about itself that is he as the Buddha says he has fallen into ignorance lapsed into ignorance and because of this blindness to the truth of existence this supreme representative of Baba of becoming of existence of being the supreme representative forms the wrong view of permanence the wrong view of eternity that I am eternal I am everlasting now what lies behind this realm of conditioned existence blind to the truth of itself driven to this conceit this overwhelming conceit based on this wrong view what lies behind all of this is Mara and what is Mara at the deepest level but craving tanha the drive for continued existence for continued enjoyment and craving is here personified in the figure of Mara and so all of conditioned existence represented by its supreme representative Brahma the divinity blind to the truth about itself covered its eyes covered by ignorance imagining itself to be permanent all of conditioned existence is just like a puppet show in the hands of the puppet master and the puppet master is Mara who wants to keep every living being trapped within the cage of samsara and there is only one person in the whole universe who discovers the way to liberation from samsara the way to break through this blinder of ignorance and to overthrow the domination, the dominion of craving. That person is the enlightened one, the Buddha. The Buddha finds the way to 
Nibbana, which is entirely outside the conditioned realm, <coughs> the conditioned realm, the realm of Bhava, over which Mara exercises control. And when the Buddha finds this way to liberation, he teaches it to others, so others, by treading that path taught by the Buddha, can also break, break through to final freedom. And so the task of Mara, what causes Mara fright and terror and agitation, is when a Buddha arises in the world because the Buddha helps others to gain that final freedom. And so the task of Mara here is to try to persuade the Buddha to give up his understanding of himself as the enlightened one and to submit to Brahma and recognize him to affirm existence, to affirm samsara by submitting to Mahabrahma and worshipping him. But whether the Buddha is going to do this, that we will see as the sutta unfolds. <laughs> okay, we will stop the discussion here.